1: The race is on, and Red Bull has already taken the first victory of the season by becoming the first team to run its 2020 car. Max Verstappen took to the track for a filming day at Silverstone, so as well as the usual photos of the launch car, we have also seen it on track. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me on this edition of the Race F1 Podcast Extra is Glenn Freeman, with Gary Anderson joining us later for his technical analysis and then a brief cameo appearance from Scott Mitchell. Glenn. Now, first up, have you finished grumbling about the unchanged Red Bull livery?
2: Yeah, I think I've retreated back into my hole because the internet shot me down largely for that. I'm I'm always disappointed when Red Bull or any other team come out with uh, the same livery that they always have. And uh, yeah, I was a bit critical of Red Bull this morning for that. And lots of people um, coming out in support of Red Bull. So it's good to know that the fans like that livery. And uh, yeah, I've been put firmly in my place.
1: I think iconic liveries only become iconic with retrospect. Like the McLaren the Marlboro McLaren's, you know, we got used to them and they were always just the same for quite a few years, but now looking back they're great. But at the time, no one was jumping for joy every time another red and white car was unveiled, same with the Red Bull.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And the thing is I think I I put more pressure on Red Bull to do something more interesting with their liveries because it's such an interesting brand that normally does buck the trends of its rivals in whatever kind of area it goes into. Um, So it just surprises me that they're so corporate in F1. You know, I guess people like the consistent lineage. You can look back to the the first car they had in 2005 and still see the livery similarities. Whereas I like the days where teams were probably forced by sponsors because they had more sponsors to constantly change their colours and things look different and you just got more surprises. We just have to look quite a bit harder now I think to spot the differences when we see a new car don't we
1: yeah very very much although I, I do I do quite like it when they changed I'll say a few years ago some years ago now to that kind of matte paint car I think that looks uh, that finish looks uh, nicer but anyway we're not here to talk about the uh the livery fun as 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 that is but this is the third car to, to break cover we've seen nothing kind of earth shattering nobody's reinvented the wheel which is sensible because uh wheels are that shape for a reason but we knew this season was always going to be about detail work evolution we've got the sample set of three cars this sort of confirms it doesn't it that they're they're working within those well-established concepts but there's still room for innovation isn't there
2: yeah that's what i think is interesting i mean a lot of people um probably struggled to look past the livery being the same on the red Bull and assume that the rest of the car looks the same as well but When you actually see the car from the front, there's a significant change in the way they've narrowed the nose and what they've done with the the vent at the front of the nose. They've had that for a while in that thumb tip area. But uh, you can probably explain this better than me, Ed. But I think the vent has been moved up, so it's not in the middle of the tip anymore. It's kind of going in the top. And they've also changed what they're doing with the, the mounting pylons, for want of a better phrase, for the front wing as well. So there's quite a lot of detail change, actually, I think, at the front of the Red Bull.
1: Yeah, very much so, and uh, I'll ask uh, Gary Anderson about that uh, shortly, but the way you've characterised it is basically, right, it's a, very, it's a very neat piece of packaging. We have to remember, anything they do in the nose, that has to pass a crash test, so that's really, really difficult because you, you can't don't just have to make it, you have to make it strong enough, and those are very stringent, so that's always a, a, a complicated task. And we have seen... You know, there's detail changes all over the car, and we know Red Bull needs to start well. They've said they need to start well. Are you feeling kind of confident that this will be a Red Bull that's not just nabbing the odd win here and there, and is going to end the season saying, "Well, what we have to do next year is build on this and and start well"? Because they've kind of got into this this sort of feedback loop, and the same thing happens, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it's been really disappointing, actually. You know, when the rules changed in 2017 and it was meant to be much more about aero, we thought, "Here we go. This is Adrian Newey's chance to put Red Bull back on the map." And they they blundered, really, with the 2017 car. It took a while to get that right. And then I think at the start of last year, again, when we had a front-wing rule change, they struggled perhaps to get on top of that. But with Honda coming good as the year went on and Red Bull getting getting their head around the car and the design and the regulations being stable, there's no reason for them to mess this one up. And I actually think, just briefly going back to the changes we touched on at the front of the car, I think doing that in the final year of a rule cycle suggests to me that... They are starting to maximise a lot of the other areas of the car and they've identified one area where they can make a key change and that that key change is worth making for the final year. So there's no excuses for Red Bull now. Like you say, they can't go on being categorised as this team that messes up the start of the year, falls out of championship contention and can then steal some race wins later on. We know that drivers like Lewis Hamilton have quite often been quite generous to Max Verstappen in battle for some of those wins because... Lewis has got a championship win to win by that point and Max has got nothing on the line. I want to see Red Bull fighting for a championship properly from the start of the season because I think that will change the dynamic on track as well.
1: And of course it's not just Red Bull, it would be Honda as well. It's amazing when you think about it. We're now talking about in 2020 the chance of Honda winning a championship which just didn't seem remotely possible when they were struggling with, with McLaren. It shows how well this whole gambit has gone for for Red Bull, getting them in with Toro Rosso for 2018 then taking them into the works team, well, the main team, as it were. But also we should say credit to Honda because when they parted company with McLaren, they didn't have to continue. They did have to make a decision. Do we go down this Red Bull possibly route with Toro Rosso or do we just go away? And no one really have minded if they'd they'd walked away, they'd said, well, it's been a mess. You started late, so you're always up against it, et cetera, et cetera. But credit to them for for coming through and being a a race-winning engine manufacturer now it wasn't so long ago that honda was kind of the laughing stock but now very very credible and it, this is the honda we expected to to come in with, with with mclaren in 2015 wasn't it
2: yeah i'd actually say that honda have turned that around quicker than i think anyone would have expected you know it's very easy now to say oh well with hindsight what were mclaren thinking they should have they should have stuck with it but i think red bull had the right circumstances they had the low pressure team in torroso where they could get to work with Honda to begin with, and I think that's been huge for Honda. I know that you've said in the past, Ed, and I totally agree with this, that McLaren and Honda weren't doing each other any good. And I don't think Honda would be as good as they are now if they'd stuck with McLaren. But I still think the rate of improvement through that first season with the Red Bull top team was much faster than I would have expected. And if someone had said to me when they split with McLaren at the end of 17, that by pre-season 2020, so now... We'd be talking about them potentially fighting for a championship. I still wouldn't have believed that, even though I think we could all have some faith that they'd probably get there eventually.
1: Well, there were almost times last year where you could you could claim that the that the chassis side was slightly holding that package uh, back, which is a, a new thing for for Red Bull. But having Honda there in the championship fight is what what we what we all want. And I, I do think it just sort of feels like the right time. It's always difficult. Because you, you tend to look to rules resets for the opportunity to take a leap forward. But Red Bull doesn't really need to take a leap forward. It just needs to inch forward a little bit. So it's already kind of on the edge of the game. It just needs to get uh, to get into it. And I've said before on this podcast that what I wanted to see from Red Bull is kind of the same sort of concept path. And just, just go down it and keep working and keep extracting more performance out of it. And that's what I'm seeing from this car. Because it's not a revolution, but there's lots of little details there's nothing sort of one flashy thing you maybe the nose a little bit but that's still sort of that's an extreme evolution of, of the approach they've taken. There doesn't seem anything they've done on it that's just sort of done to be clever if you see what I mean. It's just the sort of Mercedes approach. It's right, let's make everything a little bit better. And actually if you aggregate those marginal gains, it adds up to a pretty a pretty big gain. So For me, that's really encouraging. This is a a kind of stable Red Bull. We don't know if if they've got it right. They could have gone wrong. You can can only tell that once the car's uh, on the track. Or if you've got uh, a wind tunnel handy, you can put the car in, which uh, our budget won't quite quite stretch to. But, yeah, I've got quite a good feeling about Red Bull this year.
2: Yeah, I think the, the last thing you want to see from a team that finishes one year strong is a sort of wholesale change for the next year. We've got stable regulations. So you look at the end of last year and you think, Ferrari got on top of the car they had and started to get results and performance out of that. Red Bull were on the right trajectory as well. Both of those teams appear to have stayed on that path. They're not trying to overreach. They're not trying to do the, you know, the famous one is McLaren in 2013, isn't it? Final year of a rules cycle. And they had arguably the quickest car in 2012 and then tore it up and tried to do something new for 13. And, you know the team has never recovered from that from a competitive standpoint i like the fact that we've not seen that from ferrari and red bull because of the way they finished last season i think that's why you know us in the media and fans are relatively optimistic now as we record this ed we're still waiting of course to see the mercedes which we get a proper look at later this week and who knows what they'll do but i think you know we've seen from mercedes over a period of years now that they do tend to go down this route of just constant refinement and it's actually good to see their rivals starting to do that as well because it suggests that everyone's got some confidence in their car concepts now
1: well glenn we'll leave you to get back to uh the website as uh, editor-in-chief of the, the race and overloading videos and all those other things that you, uh, you do and, e- and even sometimes podcasts but i don't like to admit anyone else has any uh any podcast that's my uh, that's officially my kingdom uh, but yeah thank you very much for your insights uh we're going to have a quick break and then we'll be joined by Gary Anderson to get his technical analysis of the Red Bull RB16. Well, I'm pleased to welcome Gary Anderson to give his technical evaluation of the Red Bull RB16. Uh, obviously, Gary, you know that team well, having worked there in the early days and in its, in it's Jaguar and Stewart. Guys, this before Red Bull uh, took it over. Um, Red Bull team boss, Christian Horner. He's talked about this change of philosophy, the, the desire to hit the ground running. The car does seem to pick up where the RB15 left off. So does that mean we should expect Red Bull to have its best start to the season since those years of dominance? I think most people have recognised
0: that Red Bull need to start the season strongly. And Christian Horner has talked about a, a sort of change in philosophy as far as how they're going to try and attack this year. Last year they lost away a little bit with the front wing changes. Um, they were not getting correlation from the wind tunnel to the track. And that's very easy to do. When you change how the airflow goes around the outside of the car, it means that the wind tunnel characteristics change quite dramatically. So, you know, something simple like the the walls of the wind tunnel effect and how that flow reacts can change how the car responds on track. So it took them a while to find the feet as far as that's concerned. But, you know, they won't make the same mistake twice. So I think if you look at the, um, the, the new car against last year's car, they're definitely, at the moment, with, you know, version one, I suppose we might call it. Um, it looks like a bit of a carryover. Um, they've probably opened quite a few doors on the car for future development, areas that last year were sort of locked off, but they haven't really gone in that door yet. So I'm expecting to see quite a bit of development coming um, as as the testing goes by, um, especially before, obviously, their first race in Australia. But I think they've, they're just making sure that the car they take to the track initially correlates with the wind tunnel, from the information they had from last year and, and that's a sensible thing to do because to be honest it's so easy to lose points at the beginning of the season
1: and you really can't make them up later on so they need to start scoring big points from from race one really this is the first car to run a whole week out from testing how difficult it have been to get the car up and running so early and although you can only do a short amount of running how valuable is it to get an early start on the the basic data and ticking some of those items off the checklist
0: Red Bull is the first car to run this this season um, as far as getting out early and doing a little bit of running. is it much help to do 100 kilometres on a filming day? Um, yes, it is. I mean, the tyres they use are, are what they call um, filming tyres, not really the same compound and stuff as what you're going to use when you get testing or when you go to the first race. But it does mean that you can check all the systems out. You can make sure that everything's working as planned. Um, you'll have lots and lots of extra sensors on the car. Temperature, pressure, all that stuff. And that gives you that opportunity to sort of analyse all of them. There's no hurry to do that 100Ks on your filming day. You can do it all day long if you want. Uh, so it will have given them a chance to sort of understand that everything's working okay, everything's working as planned. If not, they have a couple of days to uh, look into the situation and rectify it. So yes, it is of a, a value. Um, is it really a value before you can really put the hammer down whenever testing starts, you know, it just gives you that more confidence when you go to that test that you can start that little bit earlier to really push things a little bit more. So if I could if I could have done it in my time, I would have done it. So, uh, yeah, I can see it being an advantage.
1: Uh, the nose duct and the nose shape was probably the first thing that caught the attention when the car uh, was revealed. What do you make of it?
0: Um, they've always been into this, having a hole in that part of the nose. Now, what you get there with a, a sort of rounded nose end is stagnation. The airflow basically doesn't know where to go. It just sort of, some of it goes over the top, some of it goes under the bottom, some of it goes around the sides. Um, But you get a a sort of an area where the airflow, as I say, it's just inconsistent, I suppose. And they've always put this duct in there, transferred some of that air through underneath the car. Um, If you can imagine looking at the side of of a Formula 1 car currently, the chassis are always as high as the regulations allow, and the nose tip has to be at a certain height from the ground. So there is a sort of, it's a banana-shaped car. So getting the airflow to come around underneath the car, underneath that nose and into the chassis area in the middle is very difficult. And what you want to do is basically get as much airflow in there as possible because the front tyres displace a lot of airflow. You want that mass flow to go through between inside the front tyres and then get to leading edge of the side pod because that allows the diffuser to do most work on it. The faster that airflow can reach the front of the side pod, the faster it will be going underneath the floor because the diffuser just sucks on that airflow. So it just increases the speed under the, under the car, the speed of the air under the car by, you know, a percentage. So if you can get the airflow to be at the leading edge of the car, at the leading edge of the side pods, travelling as fast as possible, the diffuser will do a better job on it. And downforce is at the square of the speed. So basically for double the speed, you get four times the downforce. So um, vitally important. To keep the airspeed to the maximum possible and that little duct just helps pull more airflow in between those front tyres.
1: One very visible difference between the Red Bull and the Ferrari and Haas cars we've already seen is that is the oval shape of the uh, air intake compared to the triangle. Why the, the different approaches? On the Haas and the Ferrari cars,
0: we saw it as a triangular shape. And, you know, that's very, very good for the structure of the rollover bar, which that area is, because you've got two, a triangle basically on top of the chassis. So it's, it means that you can probably have the lightest possible uh, rollover bar concept. And it doesn't look like the Ferrari engine or the Haas engine, which uses the Ferrari engine, is actually using that area for much cooling. Uh, in other words, all the air that was in there, or the majority of the air that's going in there is going to go to the... Um, to the engine, to the turbo intake, um, whereas the Red Bull has got more of an oval-shaped uh, area. And it's it looks a bit bigger. The area itself looks a bit bigger. So they're probably taking in a little bit more air there to cool maybe the hydraulics, maybe cool the uh, the battery package. Um, but the thing that allows also is it, it's, because it's um, the top of it's at the same height on all the cars, the bottom of it is a little bit higher because of the way they, they sort of make the oval shape. And that means that area is a little bit further away from the driver's helmet. Max Verstappen's not, not a, a small guy, so his helmet's quite close to it. And the airflow coming off the helmet can very easily influence that air intake. So Red Bull have put a bit of effort into the the undercut underneath that oval shape, um, and they've also got a couple of horizontal fins there to help that airflow again. And basically, the more, you, the more you can manage that airflow from the driver's helmet and also the spillage that comes out of that um, intake hole whenever the driver would close the throttle or whenever the airflow can't go through the airbox... Um, it comes around the sides of the the uh, engine cover, and that can very easily disturb the rear wing. You know, whenever you consider that the driver lifts the throttle, whenever he, get, he hits the brake pedal at the end of the uh, at the end of a straight, that's the last time you want to affect the rear wing with with turbulent airflow. So, it's uh, it's a small detail. Is it much different? Uh, it'll be it'll be significant. It'll be enough to to sort of um, make sure you don't think about having problems with it. So um, it's a different approach to to Ferrari and, and Haas. But at the end of the day, um, it's just small stuff. And all this small stuff, all these, you know, hundreds of a second add up. So that's the important thing. But also the the fact that it takes away the questions that you ask yourself about something silly happening. Um, and, you know, Red Bull obviously believe in, in their philosophy.
1: We saw Honda making enormous progress last year. And actually, you backed them to to make that progress. So uh, so you called that right, having worked with Honda in the past. Uh, this, uh, this engine package... Is now in the fourth year of the concept. It was strong in areas last year, not always maybe the best all-rounder, but looking at the car, the side and rear ends, a little bit more tightly packaged in areas. We see this partnership maturing, and can we expect another step forward from Honda?
0: Yes, Honda. You know, that's the second year with Honda, and they've uh, they made big progress last year. And, you know, now they've got to consolidate that. The steps will be a lot less than they were last year. But it will be intricate little steps we We heard last year of a staff and complaining quite a lot about drivability of the of the engine, so they'll have worked a little bit in that area. but the big thing really will be the relationship the partnership is, is maturing Red bull will go into next this season sorry twenty twenty having a lots of data from twenty nineteen as far as cooling cooling characteristics um you know how the car really responds to um to different setups with the Honda engine, and, you know, they're always changing side pods, you're always changing radiator exits, sometimes even radiator sizes, depending upon the circuits you're going to, and they'll have all that data now, so they'll know where they're going, as opposed to sort of having to take a bit of a a stab at it last year. So I I can see that area obviously being improved, more consistent, which is vitally important, so um, I think the relationship will, will build, and the Honda will do a good job this year.
1: So come on, Gary, final summary. Is this the car that will make Red Bull a genuine championship contender for the first time since 2013?
0: Do I think uh, the Red Bull car will uh, challenge for the championship? They've pulled out a few wins here and there whenever they were sort of unexpected. But the thing they need to do, and we all know this, start the season strongly and be less inconsistent. I think that's the the sort of challenge for Red Bull this year. If they can keep scoring points... um, keep getting podium positions, keep the pressure on Mercedes and hopefully Ferrari, then I think at the end of the day, you know, that pressure changes how all the teams work. So that's that's got to be the thing they have to do. But if they get left behind at the beginning of the season and they're playing catch up, then I think it'll make it very difficult. But I think they're starting the best way. They're starting from what I see with the car as a car that they probably understand. They're going to get the correlation between the track and the wind tunnel. And then they know that all those trick bits that they've got sitting on the shelves waiting to go on the car, because they're all bolt-on items, when they put them on, that will correlate to track performance. They don't want to show their dirty washing too early either, so leaving that late to the second test, putting all those new bits on, means the other teams don't see it. So yeah, hopefully, it'll be a three-team challenge
1: for the championship this year. What great insight as ever from Gary Anderson there, and you can read more from him on the races website. That's the-race.com. And now I'm going to bring in Scott Mitchell. Scott, you are somewhere in Paris where you've been attending a Renault launch, not launch, launch of sorts. What, what exactly has been going on? There certainly wasn't a car there.
3: Well, actually, Ed, I'm going to correct you there. There is a Renault Formula One car here. I can see it right now. It's just underneath me to the left. I'm in a sort of like raise. I'm like up one floor in uh, Latelier Renault, which is the um, sort of the the, the 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 headquarters in Paris. I can see a Renault R25 so there is an f1 car here so I, I well that that's something yeah exactly a bit more there's more of a real f1 car here than there is a twenty twenty f1 car so this was a season launch event rather than a car launch um it was indeed um, a car launch without a car so yeah can't be called a car launch it's a season launch event so we've been speaking to uh Cyril Abitable uh we've been speaking to the the technical team at Renault um including uh, new technical director Pat Fry, we, and we've spoken to both drivers Daniel Ricardo and Esteban Ocon and we've also spoken to to Alain Prost as well so it's been a it has been a very very productive launch even though there was no car here on display we did see a few renders though as well a little bit of a glimpse of the the car in a in an interim livery so, uh, could you glean anything from those magnificent images, or is it very
1: much, yes, there'll be a car with a with a driver sat in the middle of it?
3: It will be a car with a driver sat in the middle of it. I'm pretty sure it'll have four wheels as well, but we couldn't quite see them in the pictures. Um, to be honest, the, my, my big thing from today is less about what we saw in the images, which I know is a bit weird for a car launch, because, uh, again, not a car launch, but it's a weird thing for, say, from a launch event, because you're normally just keen to see the car itself. But the um, the big thing that I've taken away is sort of the, the the input and the insights that we've gleaned from from the likes of Cyril and and others. So, for example, we, we talk about this slightly weird event where we've got a, a launch without a car. But the reason they've done that, they say, is a is a conscious decision. It's not because they're behind schedule or anything like that. But basically, they feel that any car that gets launched or revealed now uh, in advance of testing isn't the real thing. It's a fake car. It's a show car, or it's been dressed up to make it look like it's the the 2020 car, but it's really last year's with this year's with this year's paint job on it or something like that. So it was almost I, I yeah, I'm going to take Cyril's word and say this is just Renault wanting to be to be honest, basically not wanting to lie to us. And they're, they're, they've had there's been plenty of other substance here with them talking through sort of what they've worked on with the car how they've updated the engine that sort of thing for me to feel that this was this was a worthwhile event even though it wasn't a, wasn't one that actually contained a real car and i guess for renault there must have been a bit of a sense of pressure and
1: expectation because we saw since it revived its works team, 16, 17, 18, always improving one season after the other got up to fourth in the championship. And then, of course, last year, they wanted to finish a better fourth. They didn't even manage fourth. They finished fifth. And they were far closer to slipping to sixth behind Toro Rosso than to being up there with McLaren in fourth. So Renault really
3: needs to get back on an even keel, doesn't it? Absolutely. And this is, um, this is vital. This is a crunch season for for Renault make or break almost because we know that they're not like any other team in the in the championship they're, they're not tied down for 2021 but they have the you know Renault went through quite a bit of upheaval as a, as a manufacturer last year so so there is pressure to, to perform and Alain Prost told us that you know another season like last year won't cut it they, they, they can't underperform like they did they need to they need to make progress and there's been a lot of uh, there's been quite a turbulent autumn slash winter for, for the team with major, major changes on the management side, new head of aero and new technical director and the weird thing is that the 2020 car which we will see next week the, the genesis of that car is from someone who is no longer working with the team or from individuals that are no longer working with the team. So slightly weird birth of the, um, the, 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 2020 Renault in, in more ways than one. Obviously, not just because we haven't seen it here. Um, but, but a lot of pressure on, on Renault to, to perform. It'd be interesting to see if the efforts that they're making Um, will actually come off in that regard. I'm not expecting any real changes on the engine side. It's going to be a big push for reliability there. But apparently there is quite a bit of a change on the surface. So let's see exactly what they've come up with and if they've been able to come up with with a strong or aggressive aero platform. And, of course, you mentioned uh, there have been technical changes there. Pat Fry is now chassis,
1: technical director. You said he was there. He's always uh, an interesting guy to speak to, and he knows how to contribute to, to kind of turning a team around. Shall we say what, what did you make of him and what he was having to say? Did it all did it all kind of add up? Because there were some fundamental concept problems with the car last year that needed to be fixed. And although, obviously, that car was already in the works when he, he started uh, back at Enstone again. Obviously, he'd been there in the, in the past. Obviously, he'll still have a good feel for for how big the changes are and whether they should be in the right direction.
3: Well the tricky thing there is that uh, that Pat's only just started working. He's you know he's he's been he's basically just just at his first week back at back at endstone so he's not been able to get involved in it in it at all so while he wants to have an impact on the 2020 car that will only really come with the sort of latter stages of development the the big impact that he'll have is on 2021 and he'll be making sure that they've got the right or you know the right structure in place and that the change that they've made then 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 lead to better decisions further down the line because 2021 if renault does stay in in, in f1 is a huge opportunity and exactly what they need in order to to make that gap between the um, between them and the big three um, smaller. Or I don't think they're going to eradicate it at all, but they certainly need to make a a big step next year. So so yeah, I mean Pat is uh, Pat's obviously very enthusiastic. He's really really happy to be back at Renault, It seems. Um, uh, he, he worked there back when um in, in one of the original endstone forms what what must have been what twenty-five years ago now, Ed. So I think he's sort of a, it's a homecoming of sorts for him. He's super excited to get going. Do you think he likes what he sees so far? Um would he necessarily agree with the direction that the twenty twenty car has gone in at the moment? I don't think he would. I think if if that was the case then they wouldn't have needed to make the technical changes that they've made um behind the scenes because if you had the right people in place doing the right things with the car you wouldn't need to get rid of them, would you? So yeah, Pat's come in, but his influence is minimal at the moment because he has only just started. Well, before we let you get on, because things are being tidied away there and you're going to get swept up in a moment, are you
1: feeling more positive or less positive or about the same about Renault's prospects, having uh, heard what they've all got to
3: say at this uh, this not launch launch event? Uh, it's pretty neutral, really, from my point of view, because uh, there's not been a car for me to, to, to look at or, or, or judge. Um, or overreact to as, as maybe Cyril would, uh, would, would think that's why they didn't launch it because they're sick and tired of people basically looking at renders and deciding that's the final car. My personal view there is that if you launch a car and say it's your 2020 car or 2019 car, then people will judge it as what you've, what you've called it. But that's a bit of a, that's a bit of an aside. Um they're saying the right things there's decent positivity they seem to be addressing the right areas but until we see the real car and we see see the real car on track and we see the real car on track in a racing situation we're not going to know emphatically whether they've made the progress that they need to well we'll
1: let you get on Scott. Thanks for your uh, your brief appearance. We'll let you uh, your head for the train to make your way uh, back from the Renault launch and uh, we'll be hearing from you on uh, some of these future launch podcasts. Well that's all we've got from F1 launch season today. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. We have the McLaren launch uh, going on tomorrow in Woking which I will be going to. Lots of anticipation about that car. Do head to the race.com. That's the hyphen race.com and check out our social media accounts which are at at we are the race we're back tomorrow with more from f1's new car season